Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week's share will be about mikvah. We'll be speaking about mikvah for men. Is there any mikvah before the last 100 years or 150 years for them to go every day? The concept of even going Erev Shabbos, where is the first time that is mentioned? We will be speaking about mikvah for men on Shabbos. The Litvaks don't do it, the Hasidim do. Do they have what to be Saimachan or not? We will be speaking about, we will be speaking to Shluchim in remote locations where there are no mikvahs, where it's hard to get. Mikveh accessibility is difficult. What are the other options? Like, let's face it, the whole concept of mikvahs, the way we have them, are, for the most part, a few hundred years old. They did have them in the Rishonim's times that they were connected to a Mayan, but the mikvah that, that is from rainwater is really dates back to the days of the Chsam Saifi. You're talking about you know, the late 1700s, it's really rather a new concept. So obviously they were using rivers, ocean, lakes. Can we be Saimich on that these days too? We'll have a number of guests from America, from Russia rather. We will have Reb Chaim Danziger. He's the Chabad Shliach in Rostov, Russia. And the reason why we chose him is because there are three ways to make a mikveh. There's, you know, three bayris side by side, there's two bayris side by side, Hazra, Hashka, Hashaka rather, and then we have the Chabad, the Rashab, who lived uh, really in the late 1800s, who was Mechadish, a whole new derech and mikveh, boyer al and the first place in the world that this was is in Rostov, Russia, when he was fleeing some pogrom or some other government edict. He went, ended up in Russia on the Black Sea, and he was Mechadish. The concept of boyer al we'll discuss with the Shliach what this accomplished, boyer al So we're speaking to the who's in that exact shul has the shlichas where this boyer exists it should be fascinating we will have Reb Shmuel Stein he's the Mechaber Shabbos in our times where he speaks at length about mikvah mikvah on Shabbos and he's going to be from Miami, Florida and then we will have Reb Shaya Shagalov he's a mikvah expert he builds mikvahs he will speak about the costs of mikvah on the chumras of mikvah and one of the questions we will be asking him is given the the fact that mikvah could be made so cheaply if we just do a simple boyer like the Chsam Saif is one boyer, and today they're making mikvahs that are hundreds of thousands of dollars, is it worth the money? Like if a community doesn't have it, why not just give them the very minimum? Like your, your kid's first car, you know, you don't want it to be a, I don't know, fancy a car, you just want them to get a K car. Like why don't we start with the K mikvah? That's what he's going to discuss. And here's something fascinating that he said about the Labavitcher Rebbe and mikvah. It does not seem that the Baal Shem went every day. No, you know what? The Rebbe didn't either. The Rebbe only went when he went to the oil. So this should be really a very interesting program. You know, I would like to, in one of the next few weeks, speak about something interesting. There are many examples where Baruch Hashem, we are much firmer than our parents. And I'll give you an example. We just had Rabbi Shagalov said, the Labavitcher Rebbe only went to the mikveh when he went to the oil. Today, I think many Labavitcher Chassidim, as do most Chassidim, go to the mikveh every day. Now, we know the Baal Shem didn't go to the mikveh every day. The Magid didn't go to the mikveh every day, right? The, all of Talmidim, we, the Yismach Moshe, who's four generations from the Baal Shem, he still didn't go to the mikveh every day. We have a letter from, the, from him where it's clear from the letter that he only went Erev Shabbos. So you're talking about, and he, the, the Yismach Moshe, was a Talmud of the, uh, of the uh, Lublina, the Chayzef of Lublin. So you're talking about at least four or five Dairis from the Baal Shem. So it's, it's a later... You know, it's a later occurrence. And we, you know, see them go every day. We're better than the Baal Shem. 
than the Ari, than the, forget about the Rishayinim and Achor, the Rishayinim the, in the Gemara, they didn't seem they went Erev Yom Kippur to the Mikvah. I was speaking, we had on two years ago, the fellow from, who checks the bugs. And I challenged him. I said, you know, I buy triple wash lettuce. I've never found a bug. So he said, I'll show you. And he came to my apartment and he washed triple wash lettuce and water and he took out a, a loop, a loop of 20. And he showed me and he was right. In the loop, there were these microscopic bugs. It was a, a loop of 20x. You could never see this with your eye. And uh, in other words, it would look like a minuscule speck. And he said, there's a bug. And I looked at him and I said, look, 20 power loops. These are relatively new things, we would agree, right? I, I don't even remember. It could have even been a 50 power loop. Rabbi Kiva clearly didn't have a 50 power loop, which means he ate bugs his entire life, as did Rabbi Yechinen, Rish Lakish, you know, all the Tanoim, all the Amarayim. Pick your favorite Rishayim, Rambam, Rajba, Ritva, Ran, Rush, they all ate. I said, so are we supposed to be holier than they were? Or do we say, if, you know, they didn't do it, we don't have a chiv to do it. We don't have to take a microscope out or a triple loop. I mean, I'll give you other examples of this. Rabbi Rav Sachs, uh, Pilzax, he was Rashivan Chevron. He had his grandfather, the Chafetz Chaim, his Becher. And he didn't use it. It wasn't the shear the, the, uh, of... Uh, the, the, today's shiurim that we use for uh, for Kiddush. So the Chafetz Chaim's, the Mishnebur's Becha wasn't good. Rav Destler, I heard, didn't use the, the, uh, the, the Rav Chaim Moises Becha. So my question, again, here's the same question. And there are many areas like this where we see that, you know, we have become frumer than our Zaydis, our Elta Zaydis. And the question is, is this... Shkafigos have an honest view. Is is this you say, oh, Adarabi, you Moisif Chumris, Moisif Mitzvahs, or we have a concept of Baltaisif. There's what is at, at the root of Baltaisif, you could certainly make the argument that there's only so much bandwidth a person has. So he's either going to be doing some new Chumra which didn't exist, or Lamashal, for example, the, the, the Mishnabur writes on Tfilas Ezra, he said they were Mavatalit because of Bittal Taira. Like at the end of the day, going to the mikveh every day is another half hour, and that's Bittal Taira. That is, we have so much in our bandwidth. If if we start, you know, filling up that bandwidth with new things that I would say this, like Shomu are we doing a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's worthy. If anybody has an idea of a guest to speak about it, I would appreciate it because clearly it's an interesting topic and it needs Talmud Chacham, Chacham, etc. Before we go to our guests, I'd like to say two thoughts about the parsha. I think they're beautiful thoughts, powerful thoughts. We know the Gemara says the Matbeya of Avram Avinu had a bachur and a psula on one side, a young lad and a young girl on one side, full of energy, brimming, beautiful. And on the other side, it had a zakain and a skena. Right, Avram and Yisara, they both had children, 90 and 100 respectively. And it seems they were able to stay young. Avram was forever young. The Bachar and the, the, the Bahura and, and Zakeh Neskena. How did he do it? What could we learn from it? That's what interests me more. What could we learn from it? I said over in the past, the word from the Katska, that everybody knows and nobody understands. By the Akeda, it says, Vayikach He went, So the Katska, who was the greatest psychologist in, in history, as far as, you know, that we've ever seen in Kval Yisrael, he very cryptically said, It doesn't mean the two boys, his two boys, lads, but it means his younger years, Shnei Everybody thinks it's like some cute vart from the Katska. And the Katska is saying something really very powerful. Katska is saying, Avram Avinu had tennis yainis. 
He had a remarkably difficult life. From being thrown into the ovens of Urkazdim, being thrown out of the house by his father, breaking the Getchkis, being an iconoclast, one of a kind, a dissenter, being chased by kings, you know, wife taken away, sickness, illness, everything you could have. With everything, the greatest mountain of his life was the Akedah. Bincha, Yechidcha, Asherahafta, at a hundred years old, he's being asked to climb Mount Everest. How do you do that? How do you do that? You know what the Katska says? When you're young, isn't everything possible? Do you remember when you were 20, maybe 18, whatever the years may be, maybe 25, when you thought you could conquer the world? And then along the way, life gets in the way. Other people, you know, we run into dead ends someplace, we knock our head on the ground, we, we hit some trees in our car, right? And we lose that sense of indomitability, that sense of strength, that sense of can-do. I can. You know what the Katska said? Avram is facing this mountain. He's a hundred years old. Vayikach Avram, he found the young Avram in himself. Can you find, and I find, the younger me, the younger you in ourself? When we come to that mountain and we're tired and maybe we're older, could we find Vayikach Avram was able to find it when he had to. And that's why, what does Chazal say? The Matbe of Avram was a Bachar or Bachur al Tzadecha Zakin is Kain al Sajeni. In his old age, he could find the young him. He could find the young Avraham. Let me share with you something interesting. 3,700 years after this story, a brilliant young Harvard psychologist, Jewish, Ellen Langer, went ahead and she did an experiment. She took a whole bunch of elderly men, they were in their 70s. She said one was in a wheelchair, one had arthritis, limping, crats, you know. And she put them into a little village she made, like a few houses, and they dialed it back like 25 years. They made the music from 25 years earlier. They made the pictures, the newspapers were delivered, was things that were happening when they, in the 50s. And they, um, there were no mirrors allowed. And they were sort of told, everybody, make believe you are now 25 years younger, 30 years younger. And a few days later, suddenly there was a gym. These old people, suddenly they're in the gym. The guy with the wheelchair ended up walking with a cane. They believed they were 25 years younger. And when they checked their statistics, they actually changed. Blood pressure, cholesterol, etc., etc. The ability to flex, to hold, give a, a, you know, a handshake, how hard you could squeeze something. The New York Times ran this story under the title, What if age is nothing but a number? And basically, you know, you don't need to bring Raya's to the Kotska from, uh, you know, from, from, but I thought it was just interesting that this insight of the Kotska, you know, hundreds of years after the Kotska and thousands of years after the story, modern science has started recognizing it. And let me tell you something even greater than this. This is a powerful vart. Let me tell you something. All these parshas are about tzchayk. Tzchayk asali aleikim. Kala shemeya yitzchak li. When Avram hears the psura, v'yipal Avram alpana v'yitzchak. And then what does Sarah say? Loitzachakt. Keins kitzachakt. Tzchayk. And what do they name the child? Yitzchak. What is all this laughter? And why is it so important? And why does it get so much discussion in the Torah? And why do we name Yitzchak laughter? Imagine you name your kid Joke. Like it's, it's something about it. There's got to be a message here for us. So think of it. What is laughter? What makes a person laugh? You know what makes you laugh? When something, laughter is with noise. Something's unanticipated. You're expecting a certain outcome and suddenly something totally unpredictable, unforeseen. And the more out of place it is, 
right? The more impossible in a way, or just it's unanticipated, the greater the laughter, the bigger the joke. Every joke is that way. It's something that you just weren't expecting. Yitzchak, so Reb Tzadik says something beautiful. He says, why did Yitzchak have to be born at 100 and at 90? Like, why? And he says, the lesson is to teach us that by Klal Yisrael, there's no concept of giving up. Of Yish, we do not give up. To Klal Yisrael, there's a wall that's under the wall, around the wall, over the wall. There's no concept of Yish. And he brings like a very remarkable, he brings some cute stories. The Gemara says in Sukkah, there was a woman who they, the Avdim, somebody stole the wood from her, her house. Oh, she had a lumberyard. And the, and the Rabbanon made a Sukkah out of it. They bought it. They didn't know they made a Sukkah. So she went to Rav Nachman and she said, they stole my Sukkah. And Rav Nachman said, no, they were kind of a yish b'shinu rishos. And she said, no, they stole it. And somebody who's the granddaughter of Avram, who had 318 servants, they can't, you can't tell them that they could have my sukkah. Shreb Tzaddik explains, he says, Avraham went with his 318 avadim to chase after the four malachim, including Sadaim, to, you know, to save light from Sadaim, etc. And Sadaim said, Melech Sadaim said, keep everything. Why? It was after Yish. There, there was no way, they would, nobody would expect that they could be saved. Shreb Tzaddik says, 318, the amount of avadim, is one more than Yish. Avram went to do the impossible. He should have given up. He shouldn't have chased four kings. But Avram, there was no Yish. So he says, Yish is Begimatria 318 plus one to say, by Avram, there was no Yish. So he said, this woman said, you're tiny, there's Yish for Shinarishus. I'm an enical of Avram. We don't believe in Yish. We believe it's not, it's, it's never impossible. Under, over, around, a, a connection, a politic, I'll call, I'll get a pardon. So he said, the reason why Yitzchak, the, the future of Klal Yisrael had to be born after 90 and 100 respectively, was to teach us a lesson. By Klal Yisrael, there is no impossible. We find a way past. We figure it out. There is no Yish by Klal Yisrael. Our birth is after it was impossible. And the Lublin Rav said something beautiful. He said, it says by Avram, can you count the stars? They say there's a trillion, trillion stars or more. They don't know the number. He says, So Pashas, it means, can you count them? You know, so many will be your children. Right? That's how Rashi learns. The Lublina learned Andish. He said, Can you count the stars? It's impossible. It's a trillion, trillion of them. The answer is, It's impossible. It's crazy. It's, it doesn't, not doable. You know what? There's gonna be a Jew someplace trying to do it. So what does Reb Tzaddik say? We were born after a hundred. Our Metzius is impossible. So I ask you, the next time somebody says something to you, it's impossible. What do you say? You say, it's impossible. I was born impossible. I count the stars, it's impossible. What did the Holy Ramash say? Lubavitch Rebbe used to say to his chassidim who did the impossible, he would say, the difficult takes time, the impossible takes a little bit longer. And we're urged by the Navi to do this, to look back to Avram. Why? When we say, so what is the, how does the Navi end? You say, you're in Gullus, it was destroyed, it's impossible. How will I ever have a Gula? What does the Navi say? Shine and olive base, we say it is so the, the Marie crosses over there, they were both, they were 90 and 100. Avorch echad karasiv, va'arvorcheyu va'arbeyu. 
I, I, he had, they had children after it was impossible. And therefore, You say the Geula is impossible? Avram had a child. Somebody who is a child of Avram, a child of that child, he can't say impossible. And therefore believe, Eretz Yisrael will be rebuilt. So we're supposed to look at Avram in this thing the Navi says as a source for our own inspiration. So the next time you're feeling old, you know what? Find the young you. And the next time you bump into the impossible, you just look at it and say, I was born to the after impossible. I count the impossible. To me, to a Jew, there is no impossible. Let's go to the riddle of the week. So here's the riddle of the week. The Gemara says, it says, Nosati kesef kach He bought the field. Taisis in Kedushin. Everybody here learned Kedushin. Atav Gimel, Devriya Learns from this Pasuk that Kedushin cannot be Bepachas Mishava Pruta. Why? Because we learn Kedushin kesef from Steyefrain. And by Steyefrain, you need a Pruta. You need kesef to be kainer. So it must be that Kedushin can't be Pachas Mishava Pruta. Just like Steyefrain can't be Pachas Mishava Pruta. You can't have a Kenyan Pachas Mishava Pruta. Therefore, Kedushin, which is a Chiddush in Kenyan, also can't be Pachas Mishava Pruta. So the Minchas Chinuch in Shin Lamed Vav, says something, not on this parish, obviously, he asks a fabulous kasha on Taisvis. He says, I don't understand. Ephraim was a Nachri. And by Nachri, there's no din of Shava Pruta. Why the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that the whole din Pruta is only said by Yisrael because Pachs Mishava Pruta moichlam zelazeh. But b'nei noyach that kaptanim, Pachs Mishava Pruta, Avada makes a Kenyan. So the question is, how do we learn from the stay Ephraim of, of uh, uh, who was a guy, the din of Shava Pruta, and don't tell me, by the way, that, well, you see over there, he did more than a Shava Pruta. Well, he did with 400, with 400. We certainly don't hold, you need 400. In other words, we're just learning, since it's a Kenyan, and Kenyan is, can't be Pachas Mishava Pruta, the same thing by Isha. Over there, Kenyan can't be, can be Pachas Mishava Pruta. And what's a Raya? The Menchah brings a great Raya. The Sugyan Erevin and Avsamach Bey says that a Seicher Rishus Menhanachri, you could be Seicher Pachs Mishava Pruta. So you see, the Kenyan Kesef is Pachs Mishava Pruta Mekaradin. So the same thing should be by Mechira. And therefore, since Ephraim could be Pachs Mishava Pruta, what's Taisis' Raya from here that by Kedushin you need a Shava Pruta? That is our riddle of the week. Next week we will announce all the winners. To leave a message, call 732 732- 806-8700 and press number 2 or email at info at headlinesbook.com And now let's go to our guests. Joining us from Rostov, Russia, which is all the way southern Russia. It's on the Black Sea. It's on the border of Georgia. Believe it or not, it's not that far from Turkey. If you can fly to Eretz it's not that far. Is uh, the Rav of of southern, I, I believe he's called the Rav of southern Russia, Reb Chaim Danziger, who may be an Anakal, he's not sure, of the Chayadam. Welcome, Reb Chaim. Thank you so much. Nice being here. All the way from Russia at 2 a.m. Oh, I didn't know that. My apologies. No, so, not at all. So, so you sound full of chiyas at 2 a.m. So, Rav Chaim, you, um, many of the communities that you deal with in this part of the world don't have mikvahs. So what do you tell somebody 
you know, a, a Russian person. He wants to do the halacha. He's in a city where there is no mikvah. Um, a mikvah costs $100,000 to put in. This is, to these people, it's just unimaginable. What do you tell them to do? So uh, mikvah is one of those mitzvahs that you have to go all out for. So we're privileged to have a mikvah here. Actually, uh, one of the, old, the very oldest Chabad mikvah in the world is in our city. So um, many people, when people in neighboring cities, and we do have cities that are nearby that don't have mikvahs, we'll do whatever is necessary to encourage those Jews of those cities to come use our mikvahs. So sometimes these people uh, aren't people of means, and it's difficult. It's a big financial burden. So we tell them, come, no problem. We'll cover the expenses. Come to us. We'll take care of hotel bills. We'll take care of uh, food from the community. And uh, they come with their families uh, whenever necessary. Obviously, this is when it's a couple hours or so away. Uh, but there are people that have to fly. And uh, what, what I tell people, it's, it's more an education that you have to give them because obviously 70 years of communism in Russia had its toll. And, uh, you know, people, for example, in this part of the world, Brisim didn't exist until recently. So, you know, you're always doing Brisim on adults. And Mikvayis is also another one of the mitzvahs that so to speak, got largely forgotten other than those observant Jews that somehow held on to the mitzvahs in the hardest of times. So our job is to educate. Our job is to teach. I travel to neighbors cities that don't have rabbis, and we gather the Jewish community, we tell them about the mitzvahs and about the mitzvah of uh, mikvah, and Baruch Hashem, we've seen success. I've had people come uh, two hours, three hours away. I've had some people fly from uh, an area called the Kavkaz that uh, didn't have some mikvahs. They used to come here. Baruch Hashem, in recent years, more and more mikvahs are being built, and uh, it's gotten a little bit less of a problem, but we're always trying to encourage, because, you know, the mikvah is the foundation of a community. Without a mikvah, and without uh, Tadis Mishpocha, uh, there is no future. Now, do you ever tell them to use the Black Sea, I mean, rivers, etc.? So there are, uh, you know, there are different halakhic perspectives about what you're allowed to use and where you aren't allowed. Um, obviously, from people that end up in such places, um, we, I, I, instruct, I instruct them to co- contact, you know, the rabbinate in, um, in Moscow to find out the details because there are places you are allowed, places you're not allowed. Usually, to, for people nowadays, um, it's, it's too difficult. It's just, you know, the, the Black Sea, the Azov Sea, the, for example, the Azov Sea that's very close, it's very shallow, you really would have to go very far in uh, to get deep enough. So I don't usually, but there have been instances yeah, there have been instances in the river um, that we did that people did want, and they preferred doing that over coming here. But for the most part, we encourage because if you could come here, we are a big city, and we have you know a big community, a lot of history. We have a oil of the Sif Lubavitcher here. We have a, a historic city with a lot of interesting places for a Jew to come tour and visit. So if they have the opportunity of coming here, and we could welcome them and show them around. You know, it's another opportunity to give them chizuk, not just for Nikola, but in general for Jewish life. So, Chaim, you said you have the mikvah of the Alta Rebbe in, in Rostov. Could you tell us how, how did the Alta Rebbe's mikvah end up in Rostov? Okay, so it's actually not the Alta Rebbe. It's the Rebbe Rashab, the okay. fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yeah. So, so in 1915, as the First World War was nearing Lubavitch, which is where Chabad is from, uh, the Rebbe Rashab, together with his close chassidim, relocated what they thought would be a temporary relocation until the war is over. And they came to Rostov. They came to Rostov because there were, our, our city has a history, there's actually a Cantonist shul, our shul is a Cantonist shul, it was built by children who were taken away to the Tsar's army for 25 years of mandatory service, when they came back, they built our shul in 
172. It's 150 years old this year. So these Cantonese Jews, when they grew up and they their kids didn't speak Yiddish, their kids didn't know the traditions like they would have to know. So they were looking which yeshiva system would accept their children. And the the place they ended up sending their children to was Lubavitch. The Rebbe Rashab accepted. He said we have to take all the Jews. He established also the Chabad Lubavitch uh, yeshiva system, Tomchet Mimim. So he accepted these kids. So when the war broke out, the leaders of the community invited the Rebbe Rashab to come, the First World War, to come here. It's southern Russia, not so far from Georgia. This was supposed to be away from the war. And that's what he did. He came here thinking it's going to be temporary. Once he got here, it became clear that the war was lasting longer. Then the Russian Revolution began, and it became clear that there was, wasn't going to be any leaving Rostov. So the Rebbe Rashab bought a compound, a house, which was, so to speak, the, the 770 of the time, the Chabad World Headquarters. And obviously the need arose right away for a mikvah, because when they lived in Lubavitch, you had a stream, you had a river, uh, everything was always mikvahs back in the day, were always connected to some form of uh, rivers, lakes, etc. Suddenly now, there was none. It was a big city. So they, he instructed the Rav of this chaser, of this house, which is Rabbi Landau, uh, the, 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 the Rabbi Landau, his father of blessed memory, to, he instructed him to, to, to build the first ever Bor Al-Gabe Bor Mikvah uh, in the world. And it was built here in Rostov. It seems it was his chedesh to buy Al-Gabe Bor, right? Yeah, so he, he, there were some sources otherwise, but he wanted that the board, the Rebbe Rashab wanted that the mikvah should specifically be a Bor Al-Gabi Bor because there are certain advantages as far as the water in the lower, uh, in the lower, uh, uh, bar, uh, which is the rainwater, that it stays there, it's more reliable. So he built specifically in this way. And this, uh, amazing story about this specific pool is that it, it survived. So this house, in 1920, the Rebbe passed away. The Rebbe Rashab, his son, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, became Rebbe here in Rostov. Really? And he was here until things really? got difficult, and he left. So when you, in, in New York, when you go to the Ohel, there's uh, our Rebbe, and right next to our Rebbe, there is the Rebbe, the Friedeker Rebbe, his father-in-law. So his father-in-law, if you look on the Matzeva, it says he is the Ben Yechidi, he is the only son of who? Of Admar Shalom Dovber, which is here in Rostov. Uh-huh. So Fabulous. In 1920. Yeah, I'm, curious, I'm curious, I'm curious, Chaim, the, 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 the Boyer Al-Gabe Boyer, is, did, he, did he make a third Boyer for Hashako or no? No, no, there's, there's, there's just the, the Boyer. And, and the how, big are the opening, how big are the opening? How many are there and how big are they? So there's, there's two, op- so there's obviously the, um, I guess you'd have a big square um, uh, marble stone that opens up because that's where you could go in to clean it to check it. Right. So that's usually closed. And then you have the two holes. Each hole, they're square holes. And they're about, I think, 10 centimeters. They're bigger than the usual. Um, they're bigger than the usual uh, holes. Around how big and are they in, in inches? And how in inches, how big are they? What would that be? Ten, I think it's 10 centimeters. What would that be in inches? It would probably be uh, six inches, maybe? Or, six uh, inches square. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just, I want to just explain so, to the island that there's a problem that there's two sheets. I'll, I'll say it as quickly as I can. There's two sheets in mikvah in the in the paiskim. There's one is to be matayer. There's we keep changing the water of of the the main bar that's used. It gets dirty. So how does it stay? Not how does it stay ma'im chayim? So one is by hashaka where you put two boiris next to each other and the waters keep on kissing. And the other one is zria where you pour water into the boir, the, the rainwater, and it flows over. And that way. So by doing the boyer al-gabe boyer, first of all, you have sai hashaka, 
Now, the problem with both yes, of these shittas is the shittas haraivet, who the raivet holds, that you don't want to lose the 40 sa from the original boyer, even though we don't hold like that shita, but, you know, I guess I, I guess he was machmir on it. So by keeping the lower boyer, really the unused boyer, below it, you never really lose half of that rainwater. It's so unlikely because it's the lower boyer, and water, you know, water, especially colder water, is going to stay low rather than high. And I exactly. imagine when you exactly. and when you heat the mikveh, you don't heat the lower water; you just heat the, the upper the water. Exactly. So that was the, that exactly. was the the chiddush of the of the rashab had to be have both hashaka and to be machmer like the shitas arrived. If I, if I have that correct, right? Exactly. Which, exactly. I believe that chabad yeah. does that now all over. Is that correct? Exactly. So every Chabad in the world borrowed Gabi Bar. But I think they also added, I think they also added a third bar of Ashaka, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it really is, usually it's borrowed Gabi Bar. Some place totally. okay. who, uh, who built it, who sponsored it, they required, they wanted it, but usually it's borrowed Gabi Bar. That's uh, I'm curious, have you ever been, have you ever been the bar for, for cracks or anything? So it was absolute, so this is the story. In 19, so this building was confiscated in 1923 after the revolution. The communists, the Soviets, they put in this building that was a holy, a place of holiness. The Maimar and the Hasidic discourses that were said, the mikvah, they gave each room to a different family. As was custom, it became like a communal house. Obviously, that caused tremendous desire to the Friedrich Rebbe, the Sixth Labauch Rebbe, he left town. Now, fast forward, 1990s, the fall of communism, the Hasidim start coming back here to visit what was the capital of Chabad, to come to the oil of the Sixth Labauch Rebbe, who the Rebbe called him the Maimonides of Chabad. They come here. And they look at this house from the outside that has 30 different families living in it. And their heart was crying. It was crying because what used to be this lighthouse of Hasidic discourses, of Torah study, of prayer, for bringing into the mikvah, is now uh, So what did they do? They, by, by, uh, Rabbi Aaron of, in Israel, uh, was together with very generous sponsors. They came and they bought this house. They had to buy it from each resident separate family wow. in one room. Wow. They had to go buy because it was a public uh, communal house. Now, the first one they bought for cheap. The second one a little more. But the third one, the guy's like, well, who are these people coming? These bearded guys, half showing up here. They want to buy a little hole in the wall. Obviously, there's some, some treasure. So they started putting the price up. Now, while this is going on, they knew there was a mikvah somewhere here. They knew there was something here special. And we have to find this is the first Chabad mikvah. But no one knew where it was. And the basement was huge. And there were three different big rooms. And they couldn't find it. Now, in Lagboimer, Tufshin, Nunchef, 1998, something happened. A call came in from Rabbi Eben in New York. He said he spoke to um, Rabbi Hitrick. In, uh, I think he was in Eretz Yisrael at the time. He was a chassid that was here in Rostov as a child by the Rebbe Rashab. And he finally remembered, I think Rabbi Yehuda Hitrick, he remembered that the mikvah was under the kitchen. So now they have to figure out, 100 years later, where was the kitchen? Because obviously a lot has changed. So they raised up archival documents in the city hall, and they found where the kitchen was. They went to the basement, and they started digging by hand. It was full of sand and dirt and storage, and they uncovered the first step. They uncovered tiles of mikvah. They were in shock. It was a celebration, but they had to be careful because there were still people living in the house. And if they found that something here, they're digging, they're finding something valuable, right away they would refuse to move, to be evacuated, to sell their houses, and it would be the end of it. So what did they do? They came and they asked every person that was still living in the house, we want to buy from you your storage area in the basement so that we can fix the plumbing while we're working out the paperwork with you to buy your rooms. They agreed. They blocked the windows and they started digging by hand. 
and they what they found was miraculous, incredible. They dug first the first step, the second step. They dug it by hand so that they shouldn't de- destroy or ruin any of this, the tiles or anything that was there. And what, what was amazing, they dug to the bottom, and it was obviously filled by communists, by Soviets. When they got to the bottom, they saw this hole, these two holes that go into the uh, the bar, the lower bar, the bar atachton, and a, a stone fell in there, and they heard the sound of water. Oh, there was still water in the lower bar in 1998 when it was uncovered. Yeah. Now, why am I saying this whole story? Because when they finally uncovered it, what was the first thing they did? It was a big celebration. They bought the rest of the house. But then they opened this big square marble uh, stone so that they could go under, inspect, and kosher. So they did one inspection. And then several months later, they brought the experts from Eretz Yisrael to come do another in- inspection. And it was 100% kosher. Wow, amazing. And to this day, 70 years we, later. We still have, yeah, and you know, we have uh, the trust of... Uh, we have groups that come here. We had actually a big group uh, from Muncie. That, I brought a lot of uh, his, uh, laser shine. I brought a group here. We went to use this mix. It was like a couple wow. of people coming, using, seeing. It was like an, an, an incredible, incredible experience. Devaldic, I'll tell you though, you know, you talk about a cold tolly the mazel, a philosopher, you know, you're here. Ablevi Shtifel is like what, 800 miles north of you, 700 mile in Veronese, right? Kilometers even. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. a little less than 500. Yeah, and I asked him, I said, is there anything Jewish around you? He said, it's, it's Olamatayu where he lives, right? I mean, you're where, you're, you're where, you're where the, you're where the Rashab is buried. I said, Reblevi, yes. is there any place to go be Mispal or Beis Akfaris? He looks at me and says, I guess Lachamev Eshram, when I die, there'll be some place to go to be Mispal. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's like nothing there. I mean, you're living, and I saw the pictures of the shul. I just went online. It's beautiful, and, and you have the, the, the Rashab's mikvah. I'm curious, so would you we know, have, we have, I have yeah. a question for you. The, the, the Chabad mikvahs sound quite complicated, the Boyer Al-Gabi Boyer. Now, you have to be Boydik and Mikvah every number of years to see whether there's Noislam, whether a crack develops. How does Chabad get into the lower mikvah? So that's so the, the way it's built. It's built, obviously, as one big uh, bar. Right. After the full bar, because you don't want to make two separate ones, because then there's the chance of water going. Right, right. Noislam, yeah, of course. You have, yeah. and you have all that. Yeah. So it's built as one full one. Then you put the uh, you put what what the, you cut it in half where that same bit of cement the lower part is the roof to the lower mikvah the higher part is so the how how are you biding the low one that's what I want to know so here so you're always leaving a big square opening that, that a person can get into that lower one exactly and that so when they when so when they open that. When they open that, they have to drain the water from the lower mix, I imagine. I don't, otherwise, the guy's going to be diving in. How's he going to see if there's a if there's a crack or not? And then they have to refill so the whole thing with Meg Shaman, and then they do they start all over again. So we 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 uh, pump out the water from there. We open right. that. We take the into there. We wait till it dries. Obviously, we inspect it. After that's inspected, so we're going to bring in new rainwater. Thank God, in Russia. Water, rain, snow is never, so uh, never not a problem. California, yeah. <laughs> we, we can give yeah. you some if you need. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's how we check it now. It, it, and, and it's something that the thought of going into a mix. this mitzvah was used by the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe when he came here to visit. So just the thought that you're going in, and it's all the original tiles. The amazing! Original it's amazing! It's historic. Let me ask you a question. You're you're the rub of southern Russia. Do they know where the mikvah of the Balatanya is? Do we know where it exists? Or where it is? So I, I don't think, you know, they have in Lubavitch, 
They found some places that were used as mikvoyes alongside the, uh, the the river, but I don't think nothing nothing remained. Like this, what about this the mikvah of the what about the mikvah of the Mithila Rebbe? Do they know where that is? Nowhere, nowhere. So Do they, they know where the mikvah of the of the Tzemach Tzedek is? <laughs> no. So they, or the Marash. The Do they know where the Marash is mikvah? There's nothing. There's nothing it's there. It's all about it. All the Rabbi are about it. I think, by the way, you're very ready. I I, I want to say this here. I'm unfortunately not by the kinnis, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be listening to you. Not unfortunately, but that's the way it is. So you're, I, I hear you're a guest of honor by the Kenneth Banquet, and I'm going to be tuning in from Rostov to hear uh, what you're saying, and I'm very excited about that. So you know all the Rabbeim. Now you know all about uh, all about Rostov and the Rebbe Rashab. I think you can give a lecture also about Mikvoyis and Abor El Gabebor. It's very special. But no, this this, this here is, is this Mikvah here is only the, the thing that remains here. You have to realize there's no other standing building in Russia that was used by the Rebbeim, or Ukraine for that matter, that remained, that survived the Nazis and the communists. This is the only building. So when you go to Lubavitch, which is a village, and they did a lot of reconstruction, amazing work there, it's all reconstruction of new buildings where the old ones stood. But this is the only original building, and therefore there was the mikvah. And I think this is the first mikvah that was built, not I think, it was, because before this, you had the river, you had the, you know, it was it was a, a different uh, a different experience. They use, they, I mean, they used the Khan Saifa's Mikvah, which was a hole, you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, uh, is there any history when, uh, to the, to the like, did he write a Kuntris? I mean, he was Mechavish, a new way to do Mikvah. I mean, it's not a simple thing, like, you know, you know, 2,000 years after, you know, 1,500 years after the Simas HaMishnah, whatever, to, to to make a new Mahalach and Mikvah. Did he write a Kuntris about it? Is there a story like what inspired the Rashab to come up with this Mahalach to answer Hazraj, Pashaka, the witch, you call it, the, 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 uh, the Rived, and there's the Shita, uh, all the Chumras. Is, is there any history of it? Like, you don't wake up one day well, and no, do I, this, I, you know I, what I mean? <laughs> Uh, it's a good question. I, I'm not I'm not aware of any Kuntris uh, that the Rebbe Rashab himself wrote. There are the work that wrote about this, and Rabbi Landau, who was instructed by the Rebbe Rashab personally how to build it, he wrote a map and showed and what. But to say that I know, I'm, I'm not aware of something. Specific. The Rebbe Rashab, and there's a story. The Rebbe Rashab uh, Mikvah was, you know, he lived at a time that was the hardest of times. People were starting to realize it's hard to keep Torah mitzvahs, and he fought, you know. Going full force for all the, you know, regardless of who, you know, Ashkenazi inspired him, did him, uh, it didn't matter. Every Jew, and, and one of the things was that, uh, for Teres Emma. So, um, when it came to McVeigh, there's actually a story when one night he was studying with his son, the sixth Rebbe, uh, very, very late. And until the morning, and at 6.30 in the morning, he said, let's go to the mikvah. And the Friedrich Rebbe was surprised. Why go to the mikvah at 6.30 in the morning? The Rebbe usually goes later. He, he went with him. And when they came to the mikvah, the person that's in charge of the mikvah, they, they, they went to call him. And he came down. He didn't expect the Rebbe so early. So he said, let me go in a few minutes, clean up before you come in. And he said, no, I don't want to let you. I'm going in right away. And he went in. And he saw there that there was a foul smell. He saw that in the water there was some bugs or something else. And he told this person, he said that Vila B'Tahara is a mitzvah that affects the future generations. And I don't mind going in if there's bugs. I will go in if there's a foul smell. But if even one woman comes here to go to the mitzvah and she sees this, and because this she does not go in mitzvah, after 120 years, when you go up there and there's the basin Shulmaila, they're going to ask about this. They're going to ask about what, what held this person out off and why she didn't go to the mikvah. And it's going to be something that's going to be very hard to answer to. And the point was that this was uh, Nagia Benefish. And what happened was this person obviously got the fright of his life, 
later that day he came to the Rebbe for Yechidus, started crying, and he said it's never going to happen again. And sure enough, even in the hardest of times, the mikvah was spotless, was clean, was beautiful. Why? Because the, the Rebbe Shabbat's voice was very close to his heart. It was something that he, you know... Well, Rav Chaim, it was an honor having um, you on all the way from Rostov, and the story is fascinating, and it's it was fascinating to speak to somebody who's by the, the first the double mikvah, you know, Boyer al Gabe Boyer mikvah, and we're really special and honor speaking to you. Thank you very much, and I want to just say, I um, before I lived, I lived in California, so I used to tell people, if you're ever in the area, stop by, and you know, over the two years I lived there, people would come every few weeks for a visit. For the past 13 years, I've been telling people, few were brave enough, but I'll tell you anyway, and your listeners, if anyone's ever in the area, we're not so far from uh, from Uman, from other places. We have two. We used to have a two and a half hour direct flight there to Israel. The driver in the area would be more than happy. It gives us his and it inspires people that come to see them. Just never the Kiyidim that live here. So we'd be love. We'd love to see uh, anyone that makes it this uh, to this part of the world. There you go. Thank you very much, Reb Chaim. Baruch Hashem, she give you kaiyah to be mamshech and avoidus hakaidish that you do. Thank you so Kulta. much, and best regards to my good friend Reb Levi. Very good, Kolton. Joining us from Miami Beach is Rabbi Shmuel Stein. He's a Talmud of Lakewood for 10 years, the Miami Beach Coil, and he wrote a sefer called Shabbos in Our Times. Welcome, Rabbi Shmuel. Hi, thank you very much, Rabbi So, Rabbi Shmuel, in your sefer, you have a chapter on going to the mikvah Erev Shabbos. Can you briefly tell us, like, what is the Indian to go to mikvah? Should we be going to mikvah? You come from Litfish Yeshivas. Do Litfax go to mikvah, etc.? So... The Shulchan Aruch doesn't discuss it at all, doesn't mention going to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos. Um, but it's, it's brought down in many Shvarim, obviously from Kabbalah, from the Zaya and Arizal, very strongly the importance about going to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos. Um, there are a lot of places can be down, you say the Sharish Aveda, who says very strongly that someone who wants to accept the Neshama Yisera of Shabbos, you know, on Shabbos, everybody receives the Neshama Yisera, the Yisera Vesher Zavodah seems to say something interesting. He says that there's a great mitzvah to go to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos because the, going to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos helps a person accept the Neshama Yisera and without it, certainly he will not be able to get that Kedusha and that level that he's going to get the uh, Neshama Yisera. So a lot of places can bring that down. And even the Arach HaShulchan, he ends off that there are those who have a minute to go to the mikvah on Erev Shabbos because they could do the Shabbos, but actually welcome. And it's like a beautiful thing that they do. So we see all over in Kabbalah, even though HaShulchan brings it down, not as a exacting halacha, but he brings down that it's a beautiful thing to do to accept the Kedusha of Shabbos. And I saw Rabbi Shmuel Kamenevsky, who just you brought up from the literature side, he brings down also it's a, a beautiful thing to do in the Sefer Kavis Halachas. So it's, it's very well accepted that this is a, a special Indian, although not Halacha, it's a beautiful Indian to do. So, Rashmul, let me, let me ask you, my, my job is to, to ask the questions. And I see this in the Shayyid Vishara Shavayda. I, I, I actually prepared it. It says, Mitzvah, big mitzvah, not stama mitzvah. Listen to this. Without it, you won't get it. So here's the question that a Lutfish Yeshiva Bacha, which I am, would ask. The last time I checked, there's 157 blot in the Sechtas Shabbos, right? With a million halachas. It's not once brought a single tana 
went to a mikveh Erev Shabbos. So what I'm struggling with is when the Shaydu Sharish Ravayda says, Ubilti Taharis HaMikvah, Bavade Loyas again the Neshama Yisera, is he suggesting that the Tanoim and Amoraim did not get a Neshama Yisera? I saw, actually, after I put out my sefer, um, one, of, one of the people who come to my shia was kind of bothered by the same question you're asking, but more like bothered, like upset about it. Um, I come on, you mean every person who doesn't go to the mikvah like gets in the Shami Yisera? Um, so I, I hear, I'm not sure. So I, we went over to ask Marish Karel, Rabbi Yaakov Gross, Miami Beach Karel, and he pointed out, he directed us to Rabbi Yisrael Zunnefeld, asked a very similar question in the Sefer, and he says we find that, he asked it a little different than you have done it, he says we find that on Matzah Shabbos, um, we smell the summon, and everybody smells the summon. This is a mitzvah for everybody to do. Um, now, if only the people who went to the mikvah get in the Shami Yisera, and the reason why we smell the Bishamim is because we're, like, pained by the leaving of our Neshama Yisera, um, we should really only say, if you went to the mikvah of Shabbos, according to the Shabbat, you're asking, only if you went to the mikvah, then you do Bishamim. So he said, he explains that it must be that, of course, every Yid gets in the Shami Yisera on Shabbos. That's, uh, that's Pashat, like you said. I don't know whether the Amiroim and Tanoim went or not. I don't know. It's not mentioned in the Gemara, but I'm not sure if they did or not. But whether or not you go to the mikvah, you definitely get in the Shem Yisera. Every Yid gets it. But on a certain Madriga, on a certain level, the Yisrael V'Shayr Shavayda is saying that you're missing out on it. Of course, on some level, everybody gets it. So I'm asking you, this, the, the Tanoim and Amiroim didn't get it on the level of the, of the Yisrael V'Shayr Shavayda? I and mean, we don't find Avis went to the mikvah. We don't find Moshe went to the mikvah. We don't find Moshe, Aaron, Yosef, David, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Did none of them receive in the Shami Yisera except for the Yisrael Visharish Avaida? Before the first place it's really brought is Darizal. Even though some say it's a Lashon Azayir, it's not very not clear. But certainly not a Bavli Rishalmi Sefras, the Free Taisefta. No place is Chazal. So I ask you, nobody got in the Shami Yisera until the Yisrael Visharish Avaida. Okay. It's, I don't know. It's, an it's just an astonishing. There's also, you know, a riot from the Gemara in 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 Shabbos. The Gemara says there was a Chassid who a whole event, a whole story, and he and he went to the mikvah. So the Chassidim asked him. His Talmidim looked at him funny. So he said, "What are you chayshish me? That it's for my carry? In other words, I had some type of an event." Um, and he gave them all. What do you mean? Maybe he was going because we go to the mikvah because it's such a holy thing to go to the mikvah. Doesn't seem that in the Gemara anybody went to the Mecca. El Halacha is just brought Erev Yom Kippur, right? The Turin and the Shulchan Aruch bring Erev Yom Kippur. So how could something that you not, you don't get in the Shami Yisera? How do we say? How could it not be in the Shulchan Aruch? And how could the Rishonim? Yeah. And how could the Rambam not have gotten in the Shami Yisera? He didn't go to the Mecca on Shabbos. The Rambam says he was makbid to go by Satsayrach by you know after his davgus etc. But otherwise he didn't. So the Rambam didn't get in the Shami Yisera. I'm just looking at this Nisha, at this Yisraeli Shari Shavayin and say how do you how can we say such a thing? Yeah, so I, I hear you. I, I'm not sure it's a good question. I don't know if they did go or not. The fact that it doesn't say they went, I'm not sure. Um, but a little bit with this Yisraeli uh, Zonavold. He's saying, of course, we get it. It's not on this higher Majega of Divya Kabbalah. I'm imagining that they did it, even though the Gemara doesn't specifically talk about it. But the Gemara doesn't talk about a lot of Divya Kabbalah in Yonim. That you don't get in the Shah. Well, the Rishayin to me, they don't find in Rambam. Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch brings a lot of Kabbalah in a lot of places. Let me ask you, do you discuss in your Sefer the problem of a hot mixer on Shabbos? 
Yeah, we need to talk about that. Can you, can you talk about it? Tell, tell Lailam about it, what the issues are. Okay, so the main issue is that the place I'm going to talk about is using a hot mikvah on Shabbos. There's an issue with a hot mikvah, there's an issue with a cold mikvah. So the minig, Ramesha says the minig is that with the cold mikvah, we go to the mikvah on people are smutted to go to the mikvah with a cold shower. A hot shower is a problem because, as we know, one of, there's a Xavier de Rabbana not to go immerse, one, immerse oneself in a hot bath or a hot water because there's a Xavier that a person may come to turn on the fire and raise the fire, um, which would be over Maver on Shabbos. So this would seem that going into a hot mikvah on Shabbos would be problematic, violating that it's a Rabbana of going into a hot mikvah on Shabbos, hot water on Shabbos. That's the problem that obviously the Litzvah place can bring up and Chaim Kanievsky speaks about in the Sefer of Hazesha to be masked on it and not to go into Hat Mitzvah and Shabbos. Um, the more Hasidish Oilam Seymach on the Kavanasano that says that Litzvah Mitzvah, a person's allowed to go into Hat Mitzvah and Shabbos. So it's not clear exactly what the Hetar is, Litzvah Mitzvah. Uh, Nadi Yehuda argues on him and discusses it. But the same on this covenant is final bit for Advan Mitzvah going to the Mitzvah, you can go to Ha Mikvah and Shabbos. Okay. Um, what other points did you bring up in your chapter on Mikvah and Shabbos? So, going to a cold Mikvah is an interesting Shiloh. The Vilna Gain said that even a cold Mikvah would be a problem. Um, similar to the Xeru we find if somebody has a clear, they have a vessel that they didn't table before Shabbos. So, putting it in the Mitzvah would be. Uh, Similar to be Mesach and Mana, it's like similar to fixing it or making it usable, because before the spiel it's not usable, and now it is. So the Vilna Goyen brings up this point that putting a, if a person goes into the Mikvah on Shabbos, the same way we have a problem with fixing a Kli on Shabbos, it would be like a problem, we almost like taking on a person, taking on a, on the, the person's body. If he was tummy until now, and now he's not, so it would kind of give a, it would resemble fixing. So that's the, the Goyen's opinion. The Maitre Ramesha says that we're saying on the other place in that we don't have a problem with that. So a cold mikvah would not be a problem on Shabbos, except for a person has to be careful not to squeeze out a tear, obviously. Um, those would be, but other than that, a person can go to a cold mikvah. So if somebody goes to a cold mikvah, how would he, how would he tell Elam how he would wipe his hair that it shouldn't be a child of Shita? That's a good Shiloh. So Archa Shabbos brings three opinions about this. Some people say Rav Chaim goes like this, or Chaim Kanievsky in the Sefer. He says that a, a person should just get dressed, not dry his hair, and let it dry on its own. That would be obviously the, the most preferred method, but kind of uncomfortable. Um, Archa Shabbos says from Rav Shem that if a person just puts the towel on his hair um, without squeezing it, just taking off the wetness from like above the hair, so that will be okay, according to the second opinion. Um, the third opinion holds, based on a, a few tirufim, um, you can actually dry your hair on Shabbos. It's ibod and different things. That's the, the third shita. I believe there's also a svara that shita is always, if it goes, if it goes uh, from um, sort of like from a solid and it becomes a liquid, it's apparent. But if it never reaches a point of liquidity, there's many paiskim who hold as though it's in So if it stays in the towel, in other words, if you don't use a soaking towel, but you use a big fluffy towel, so it just goes from the hair into the towel, according to many paiskim, it doesn't have it in a schita also. That's part of the as far as of those who are making. Yeah. 
Okay. What yeah, other point? What other points did you did you bring out? So uh, there's a issue about a uh, a warm mikvah. So how is the coin to litzvah basically? We don't use a half mikvah on Shabbos. Um, cold is fine. Um, the shayla is what about a warm mikvah? So paiskin, yeah, paiskin. So the paiskin say it's it's okay. She's a warm mikvah um, because the svara of using a hot mikvah is that a person's expecting to be very hot, and they go in and it's not exactly as hot as they wanted. So they're gonna come to heat up the water and be over a maver. But if it's warm, so anyways, we weren't expecting a very hot mikvah. So whatever it is, it is a person. We're not crazy that a person is gonna do that. So interestingly, there's two. Silas, how do you, it's too sudden, how do you exactly define warm? How do we define a, a warm, a warm mikvah? So Ramosha writes something interesting. He writes, if it's warmer, if it's cooler than one would normally do it, usually, then that's called warm. So if a, if a mikvah usually is a certain temperature that somebody would like, and they do less than that, I don't have an exact number for that, then that would be, according to Ramosha, that would be okay. Where's, what's the Makara to go to the mikvah during the week? That's certainly not brought anywhere, except for Kerry, except for Chilf Ezra, it's not brought anywhere. Yeah. So, I mainly, the main reason would be for, for Chilf's Kerry, which is a whole question in the Rishonim already, and Goinim, whether or not that, this Takanas Ezra was bottled or not, um, the Gabi Chilf. So, the Halacha we passed in that they were Mavato, Chilf Ezra, for everything, for that for learning and for diving. So if a person wants to go diving, even though he's about carry, still it, it, it's okay to dive in. Rama passed away that in the Shulchan Aruch. Interesting, they, they sent a letter to the Rambam, um, of Chaim brings this, they sent a letter to the Rambam, um, very upset how he passed in that a person is allowed to dive in, um, and, and the Mizato feels as a totally. So he wrote that Avada Meikaradin, he's writing in a safer that a person is a ladder dive and, and they were totally mavato But since there's so many Rishayim and Goinim, well, not like that, he was mastered his whole life to be terrible for Tzvi and he never missed a time, a time on that. So there's definitely a, a lot of people of Chaim Kanievsky in the safer. He, he writes strongly a person to try, if possible, nowadays where it's not such a mysterious nervous to try to be terrible for Tzvi Um He brings down interesting... Uh, the, um, he brings down from the Sefer, Magim Yisharim, where the Beisheshev spoke to the Malach. He said, a person would know the star of going to the Mikvah, to Ezra, a person wouldn't miss going to the Mikvah. Um, interesting. Not, not with, the, wait, wait, notwithstanding that, in the Shulchan Aruch, he passed him not to go every day. He says, you know, it, it, it was this battle. And I believe if you look in the Mishnah he says it's this battle because of Bittal Taira. Right. So even though Shulchan Aruch passed him, um, that we don't have to go, but it's still an Indian, to, for sure, a big Indian to go um, if a person is able to. It's rough, but a person can do it, and it, it's, a bi- uh, it's a big Indian to do it. Okay, Reb Shmuel, thank you very much. And your, the name of the safer is, let's hear it one more Shabbos time. Shabbos in our time. Shabbos, Shabbos now, in our time. And is it available in most farm stores? Yeah, yeah, we came out a couple of months ago. Um, the Boston was mostly sold out. We're reprinting it, but it's still find it around. Thank you very much for your time, Reb Shmuel. Thank you very much. Also, take care. Bye-bye. Joining us from New Jersey is Reb Shaya Shigalov. He was recommended as an expert on mikvahs by Rabbi Katz, who's the world expert on mikvahs. He's also involved in mikvahs. Welcome, Reb Shaya. 
Thank you. Do you want to briefly tell us how you got into mikvahs? How like well, how did you you're a shliach in uh, in Rutgers, right on campus? How did you get into mikvahs? So we first moved down to um, Rutgers University to join the existing Chabad house over here, which had expanded and needed uh, more manpower. We joined about 12 years ago, and it was shortly after my wife and I got married, but a year afterwards. And um, first, we wanted to have uh, we wanted to have children, and they uh, were out of the plans. And, you know, began to become a little bit worrisome. And as Lubavitchers, one of the first things that we did after going to doctors is that we wrote a letter to the Rebbe and we placed it in the Igles Kedish, in the Rebbe's, um, the Rebbe's Holy Letters. And oftentimes I don't get answers. My wife gets much more than I do. And every time she would write a letter asking for a bracha for children, she would open up to a letter which had something to do with mixer, whether it was building a mixer or maintaining a mixer or something about mixer. Excuse me, Rabbi Shigal, could you explain to me how that worked when you say you wrote a letter to the Rebbe and she got an answer, just for the uninitiated? Sure. So it really begins, at least in the Chabad community, when the, when the previous Rebbe, so Rabbi Yitzhak Kuchner, and the Rebbe's father-in-law passed away and they wanted the Rebbe to become Rebbe and the Rebbe refused, um, at least initially for the first year, um, the Rebbe told him to continue writing to the previous Rebbe, to, to his Shreya, to his father-in-law. And people said, well, what do we, you know, how's that going to help us? And the Rebbe responded, you know, you do your part, you write to him, and he'll already figure out how to, how to respond. And so when we were faced with the same, with the same dilemma, what do we do now? We don't see the Rebbe. Uh, Chassidim just, you know, began to write, continue to write letters to the Rebbe. And instead of mailing it to 770, some would send it to the oil, and some would place it in one of the Rebbe's svarims. And it somehow became a, a minak to place it into a particular set of svarim. Um, the set is called Igor's Kaidish, Holy Letters, and those are letters that the Rebbe wrote to, responded to people throughout, uh, throughout the years. And a very, very often, um, when you write a letter and you open up to a random, you know, a random safer and a random page in the safer, Igor's Kaidish, you'll find an answer, you'll see an answer that was written as if it was, as if it was written to you. It's almost a little, it's a little bit like a Geirel Hagra. Exactly. It's a little okay. bit simpler, though. Yes, yeah. okay. few steps left. Okay, so you, so, and what did the letter come out to? So every time it was something else, nothing really specific, but eventually we noticed a pattern. Every time she was writing about children, there would be something about mikvah. But like I said, since it wasn't specific, we didn't really know what to do with it. And so at the time, my wife was a mikvah lady, but she figured maybe she, you know, she's doing something wrong. She's not being, she's not being careful enough. She's not uh, taking care of things the way she was supposed to. And so she, you know, she looked into that and spoke to Rebunim, and they said, no, you're doing everything fine. So we said, okay, maybe we're not doing something right in time. So we relearned the halachas, and we're doing everything fine. And um, we, we didn't know what to do. And eventually, I said to myself, you know what? You know, this mixer was already built uh, 15 years ago or so. Why don't, why don't they look into if there's anything uh, structurally that may need an upgrade or that need some additional upkeep? And I began looking into it. I really, really didn't know much about McCoy's at the time. And I began looking into it, and I realized, or I found out, that the pipes that would collect the rainwater from the roof had recently been removed because the Chabad house, uh, the actual building, they expanded and they bought the lot next door. And the new building was, was built right up against the wall, the external wall of the old building. And so they had to remove the water pipe, um, which went up all the way to the roof. So I figured, you know what, let me start with that. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. At water Pipes are always necessary. You know, there's always a time that you need to collect more water, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. And so I, can't, I have no idea what to do, so I contacted um, an individual who recommended that I turn to Rabbi Katz. Rabbi Katz, um, being a very big mixer expert, um, he asked me one question. He said, look, I don't, want, I don't take any money. He doesn't take money. Even if you want to pay me, he will, on principle, not take any money because once he takes money, he says, then I become an Agebedover, and um, I don't want to be an Agebedover. This way, you know, everything I'm telling you, I've got no, no interest in it. 
he asked me for a kioskaf that we would do whatever he recommended. Um, I gave him this kioskaf, which ended up costing me north of $10,000, but it was very well worth it. He came down, we began to work on the mikvah, and um, before we were anywhere near completing the work that needed to be done, Baruch Hashem, my wife, was pregnant with our bachar. Today we have five children, Baruch Hashem. So that was the beginning of my involvement in mikvah. Okay, what did he tell you to do, Rabbi Katz? So what was really interesting is he said, the mikvah is kosher. Before I even look at making it more kosher, the rainwater, he said to me, what is, uh, what is uh, absolutely most necessary right now is to upgrade the aesthetics. He said, I'm not even going to talk about the kashas before you put a music system in every room, before you change the flowers and the lighting. So don't even call me again until those things are done. Okay. So then on the kashas level, once that was all done, um, we had to, of course, replace the pipes, which we did. And then there were a few other small things. Uh, he wanted a different filter, so we replaced the filter um, and a couple of other things. So to replace the pipes, I imagine that it was a Chabad mikvah, right? Am I correct? It is a Chabad mikvah, yes. And the Chabad mikvah is based on the Rashab. They do Boyer al-Gabe Boyer, right? Correct. It was his Chadish to do Boyer al-Gabe Boyer. And so, so Mikra Adin, there's no problem ever if it's losing water. They just fill it up with tap water as long as the bottom bar stays full. There's only the suffix of the, 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 the Saraivid, which is not brought in Shalchanar. Shalchanar is not possible like the Raivid, that says that any time uh, a, a, you lose Mensa, saying Raivid of the Mensa, and by putting in rainwater, according to the Ravid, you always remain with those Mensa, assuming, I mean, it doesn't always have to be that way. I guess it could be a case where there's no rain for a while, and if there's no rain for a while, you could still end up with a problem, with the, with, according to the Ravid. But you would hope that most of the time, at least, you, you don't have an issue with the Ravid. Is that fair to say? Yes, but this is not unique to a Bergabibar scenario. Yeah, you have the same din by a, a boy with sad boy. It would also be if you chayshish for the the rive. Now, correct. Have you been involved in in mixes in other locations and other towns in America? Yes. And what is and do they do you usually build boy algabe boy? Yeah. And what does it cost to build a mixer? Well, when you say usually boy algabe boy, you mean to the exclusion of boy sad boy or including that? Both. You told me which ways have you done it. Um, if I remember correctly, almost all of them, even in Chabad houses, um, have been building Bar Bitzad Bar for a number really? of reasons. Yeah, for a number of reasons. Number one, um, you have nothing to lose oh. in terms of... Well, do they do Boyer well, Al-Gabe Boyer? Do they do Boyer Al-Gabe Boyer and, and Boyer Litzad Boyer or just Boyer Litzad Boyer? No, both. They'll do both. Okay, that I As understand. Well, of course, they'll do Boyer Al-Gabe Boyer. Yeah, and then, and then they'll do Boyer Litzad Boyer. So that in the event that somebody, you know, that for whatever reason wants to have Dr. Barbatad, but they can be happy as well. And sometimes it's a funding thing. So what, so, so, and what, is the bar, what does it cost to build an extra? That's like asking what does a car cost? You know, you can have something that has four wheels, about, steering wheel, and windows. I'm talking about that without ten rooms, five rooms, six rooms. I'm talking about the mix itself, the buyers, the system. So if you want to build, again, construction prices have recently risen significantly, so let's right. talk with the last year. Um, I have a friend that built a mikvah for $92,000. I have a friend that's building one now for $300,000. Well, here's my question. So a lot of it really... Here's my, here's my question. There are communities that do not have mikvahs, right? Yes. And they're raising money to build these mikvahs, right? Yeah. So here's my question. According to... Say according to the Rashab, say according to all the Shittas, I mean, the Chamsaytas boyer was, because he wasn't Chayish, should arrive it, but it's not brought Lahalacha. So when a community comes and they say, we need a mikvah, you say, well, just the boyeris are 100 grand, right? Three boyeris, and they make them. A... Now, I would 
somebody could take the position. Just, he the says, biters, you can, just the biters you can get away with it cheaper. We're talking just the biters without the bathtub, without the tiling, without yeah. it. Just, you know, boring biters, but you can definitely get away with it cheaper. But my point is, biters, three biters is triple one buyer. So if somebody yeah. says to you, somebody says to you, you know, I need a car to get to show. So you'd say, oh, we're going to raise money for you. What type of a car? I don't know, a Kia. I'm, I, I'm not a car expert. It's a cheap car, I imagine. Or a, okay. Um, right? So another guy says, you know, Let's be machmir on how you get the show. Maybe the key is going to break down. It's not such a good car. So we're going to get you a Lexus to go to show. I see. He said, okay, let's raise money for a Lexus. The guy's going to say, look, he doesn't need a Lexus to get the show. A key is fine, right? So in a community would come to me if, for a boy, I would say, listen, I'm safer. I mean, right? And until the war mm-hmm. in general, until the war, people were saying, and they weren't sure you should arrive in. Water emptied out. You put in, you put in new, new water, right? So, so, so why do we go to this expense of three buyers? Why don't we just say, listen, you know, you're a community. You haven't had a buyer. You haven't had a mikvah for the last 20 years. That means nobody's been going to the mikvah. So now you yaitza, look, so according to 99% of the dais, and you could be not, not, but you could be yaitz according to the Shulchan Aruch the thing I said no I want already we don't have a mikvah and we want to do it l'chatchila with the, the Lexus thing with the boyer al gabe boyer bar al tzad bar I would say you know is that, is that I mean that doesn't sound like uh, hashkafa wise it sounds a little crumb to me no um, okay that's a lot to unpack um, okay where to begin so for starters at the beginning um, I'm not a <laughs> question is <laughs> beginning this right or the other right right. Um, for starters, I'm not at all. This has been something which, which uh, they've done in Dasi, the Dasi Ba. They've, um, you know, they, they, they've crossed this bridge many, many, many times and decided this is the best route to go for, for numerous reasons. The first thing I'll point out is that the majority of the money is not going for the one bar versus three biters for, for a very simple reason. You're bringing the cement truck once, the question a little bit more cement, a little bit less cement, you're building the frames for the boiters, you're building them all at the same time. It's not like you're talking about building three completely separate structures. So the money difference is really not because of the three boiters versus the one bar. That's number one. Um, number two, the majority, where mixers, mixers begin to, be key, to become very, very expensive is the aesthetics. And that's why I'm happy you asked the question, and I kind of alluded to this briefly when you asked me about what Robert Katz asked me to, to fix. The aesthetics of the mikvah, today's day and age, I don't know what it was before the war. I can imagine it was very, very different. But today's day and age, the aesthetics of the mikvah will be a make it or break it for many, many, many women, even from women that today are or are not going to mikvah because it was nice or it wasn't so nice. And it even depends on the mikvah lady. It depends on the cleanliness of the mikvah. And that's why so much money is poured into um, the mikvah. So it's not that, well, I get the show with a Kia versus a Lexus. Absolutely. But here we're talking about a Daisa and data Daisa of Yidden that will be born from either going to a mixer or from not going to a mixer. It's a question between Bnei Nida versus not Bnei Nida. And so if it means a Lexus, I wouldn't stop there. Go for a Porsche. Sign up for a Rolls Royce because it's another woman going to mixer. That's where the real money um, is poured in. That's where the real money is spent. I know from, you know, from friends of mine that are shluchim that don't have bread to put on the table and they'll, they'll put hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into their mixer. Um, and again, it's not the one bird versus three birders. So if you have a habit, you have an extra bird on the bottom, four birders. Um, it's really not where the money is going. Okay. Very valid point. And you're saying without aesthetics, women don't want to go to the next Yeah, I'm not saying all women, but there are definitely yeah, a significant many. number of women. I think there's a nice with the 
with, I think it was the Satmarov, or someone, one of the gazillion from Satmarov, I don't remember who it was exactly. He went into one of the big mikvahs, and he saw one of the toilets had a drop of shmutz on the inside. It wasn't cleaned out properly. And he called the guy that was in charge, and he said, because of you, the Rebbein did this. Mamash understand. And so what he needed to take care of here, the mikvah, and he brought him to the toilet, and he showed him that. He said, one woman will walk in and see them be turned off from a mikvah, and because of that not go to mikvah, that's on your head. That's just from a little bit of shmutz in the toilet. You know, let alone if the whole thing isn't appealing. And so that's really where the money um, for mikvahs goes. So, so to build an aesthetically nice small mikvah for a town that you know doesn't have a lot of people, or for a Chabad house, whatever it is, it doesn't have like a, a tremendous need for it. Like, what does it cost? So again, it doesn't really work that way because, especially when you're talking about a Chabad, a Chabad house in you know, a random community, which is a small community, every neshama is a neshama, and so they'll go all out, even if it means they're having someone come once a month. I don't mean that, but, but my point is, there's a minimal amount you need. You need one dressing room, you need a thing, you don't need six rooms okay. or 12 rooms. And so to build a really nice small mikvah, because how much? So a really nice small mikvah can run you between 150 and 200,000. Well, and to do it just At a least. simple, a simple no, no, no frills mikvah, Walmart-style mikvah, probably cost you a quarter of that. Not a quarter, no. I mean, the bathtub and tiles aren't that expensive. I'll probably run you um, 100. Well, if you did it with one buyer, it would cost 50. I mean, it's the cost of a bathroom. No, well, not really, because you're digging considerably deeper. You okay. need to build a frame within which you're going to pour the concrete, because we pour the mikvah as a, as a single pour, so that we don't have any uh, cold joints. Right. Which means if I, pour, if I first pour the bottom of the mikvah, the, the floor of the mikvah, wait for it to dry, and then I need to pour the sides of the mikvah. That's called a cold joint, and that's asking for a leak, which is a very a, big problem a, in a mikvah. A leak becomes a problem of, of, of the water people. running out. Yes, it, it could be a shaila that it's zeichel, in which case it's that's not. Yeah, it's a, it's a shash zeichel, right? That's, that would be the problem. Yeah. Um, it, it, yes. Well, in the beginning, it may not leak, but eventually it most likely will. Right. It's a, it's, 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 a cold, it's a cold joint. You know, they, they, you know they'll pour... Um, a hole in the mikvah could be It's very problematic, yeah. Yeah, I heard over a member in Brisk that, that um, the Briskarov was once examining a mikvah uh, and he, had a, he, was, he was looking at the wall with a candle to check for cracks. He was moving along the walls of the mikvah and his, his gabo, shamish, whoever was with him said, on Shuldikstrov, you missed a, a crack. And he turned around and it was a little cracked and he said, and the Briskarov's face turned red and he started shaking with pachad that he had missed it. Something that would be a, a quick problem with Zechelem. You see how, how, they, how seriously they took it. So his face blew up. He said his cheeks blew up. And he, started, he turned red and he started shaking. So That's tell me, right. what other Chumris, you say you do, you do double buyer, what other Chumris do you do? So personally, the way I've been taught um, with Rabbi Katz, right. um, contractors really don't like this because they really don't understand it. As soon as you pour the bar, the bar dries, you don't smear it with anything, with any sealant, fill it up. Fill it up and check it for leaks. If it doesn't leak, then you can put all your shmirachs on it, you can smear it with, with sealants and anti-leak and all that stuff. But if right. it leaks on the first hand, even if I know for sure I can seal it with a, with a, with a sealant, we're not going there. We're going to fix the problem first. Right. Okay. Because, you know, the mix is continuously under, under chemicals, right? Chlorine, bromine, etc. And eventually there is a chance that it will... Um, right. It will erode the um, or eat away at the sealant. Right. Okay. Very good. Any other chumras um, you have? So other chumras, we don't use. This is the belt. This is not chabad. We don't use um, elbows. 
when bringing the water, the rainwater from the roof, we don't use elbows even in the downward position. And even when you, for those that know you, you um, chisel out or sand out the inside of the elbows, it's not as nochas. Um, we don't use those because, again, it's not, it's not uh, l'halacha, but l'apel, there are shittas that say that, hey, that if you hold the elbow the other way around, you know, right with both sides upwards, it could hold water. It's a kaling, you don't want to use it. So we don't use, we don't use those. Um, all, all different techniques to get around that when you have to, uh, when you reach a bend in the event that you need to uh, get the make shaman from point A to point B. So wait, so the make shaman coming through the roof without a, an elbow, and, but you use regular plastic piping? Correct. Okay, but it doesn't have a in base the, kibble. The will also, there's no right, base kibble, the, so there's no problem, yeah. If you go to Home Depot and you stick your hand inside the pipe, oftentimes you'll feel there are grooves in the pipe. It's just, just, just the way they manufacture it. It's not, it's not a right. perfectly smooth right. on the inside. We'll try to make sure that it's perfectly smooth on the so, inside. And how, how do you get it from the roof? Explain. So one of two ways. Um, it's easiest when there's an A-frame roof, which means it's a, it's a slanted roof. Right. And... There can't be anything on the roof. So no air conditioners, no right. um, no machinery on the roof because that becomes a kaylee. Right. The water then goes through there, and you have kaylee water that went through kaylee, known as maim she'uvim, water that was drawn that sat in the kaylee. I mean, that's, a, re- mix, that's I mean, a problem. Arguably, that's a real cover because if it's, it's running through an air conditioning that's sitting on the roof that has no clay kibble, it's just running through a box that has ma- ma- multiple holes in it. I mean, go try to drink a coffee oh, no, out of that air conditioner, The air conditioner has got plenty of space to hold water. Oh, they do. And okay. all you need is three lug. All you need is three lug of make shum, which can be as three lug can be as little as uh, three ounces or as much as one liter. But regardless, it's not a lot. So we need to get the water from the a the roof. So what do they do? So how do they do that? So what they'll do is they'll usually replace the the regular metal gutter with a plastic pipe. And the way it's typically done is to take a regular um, right. three inch or a four inch PVC pipe, it like it in half, and put that over there. And that goes and then straight into your pipe back, and goes all the way in. Yeah. Okay. And we try to avoid we try to avoid turns just because it becomes a pain. Let me ask to, you. Uh, circumvent elbows. So let me change gears here. Let's say somebody's a shliach in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. I just told, say talking to somebody. Because there's no mix for there. Could could they use the ocean? Technically, yes. But I've heard from from quite a few people that after they've done it once, they'll never do it again. Because. Well, for starters, you're going to do it by night. It's not comfortable to go into an ocean that has nobody around by night. It is doable. Most ladies won't want to do that. Make sure there's no make sure there's no sand on your feet. You have to walk in with, either with flip flops or something. Well, you, and you swim. You go, you go for a swim. And economy, it, it could be done. But what about in a river? Let's go. Let's say the Ho Chi Minh River. Could you do it there? So rivers become a little bit more complicated yep. because a lot of them have dams, which can be can create a problem of mine. Show them, then you get into the shy love. Is the majority coming from upstream? Is it coming from as a mine from underneath? It really, really becomes challenging. There was a Rabbi Shagalov is saying is that as a Shulchanarov says, if I remember correctly, that if most of the water is rainwater, it's problematic. But if because it's zeichelen, because it's it's, it's the water is running in a river. Uh, if it's if it's sitting, then rainwater is fine. That's what you use for every mikvah. So, but if it's coming from a mayan, if it's coming like from an underground spring, then zeichelen is kasha. Running water is kasha. So by a river where we can't be certain, is it coming from a spring or is it coming from rainwater? If it's rainwater, it's problematic. If it's a spring, it's not. That's why he says the ocean is is easy, but uh, but the uh, but the, well, it's not this halach of zeichelen is easy. It's probably yeah, saying. Yeah, so, yeah. But, a river, but, but it's good to know that if somebody is stuck in an area where they don't have a Brera, they could 
use the ocean for sure, and the river, if it's a river that's fed from, you know, from a Mayan, it's not coming mostly from rainwater, then it would be kosher as well. Uh, it's not just that. It's also, it's also when there are dams in the yeah, river. dams, okay. And all the water passes through a dam. Yeah, but let's say in the Hudson River has no dams. I mean, most, you know, a lot of the rivers we have don't have dams. So that yeah, would I'm be a solution. Any, anybody, listening, anybody listening, before they do this, so yes, your local, their local, yeah. local Orthodox rabbi. With the um, emphasis on competence in this particular area. Yeah, but it is important to know, you know, there are times we can't do it with three buyers in yeah. a fancy place, right? Absolutely. Um, Just remember, though, that you always need to have someone, Eimer del Gabo, someone there. Well, the mikvah, you yeah. have a mikvah lady. Yeah. 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 A mikvah needs a constant, to be to constantly be under a Rav Tehsha. I can't tell you how many mikvahs are out there that I know from either Klishin or Klisheni that um, have a Rav's name on it. When you ask the Rav, either he says, I built it, so I knew it was Kasha then, but it's been 10 years since then. Or I've even had a store, did you have it over there? I went into a store, Taylor Mikvah for a whole community, and asked him, who's this Kasha Rav? He told me the name of the Rav. He said, the name of the Rav, the Rav uh, comes by, and he was even on the roof when we probably opened the Mikvah. I went to the Rav, and I said, are you responsible for this Mikvah? He said, no. I never used that mix. I said, I, I said, were you there when they opened the mix? He said, no, I've never been on that roof before. And then in a nearby town, I went to another mix. I asked him, who's responsible for the mix? He told me this and and he comes by every few months. Okay. Went to the dog. He said, me? No. If anybody would be, you know, one of the people that work under him. I went to that and he says, we'll do every month, every three months. Haven't been to that mix in who knows how long. Over there, even if you tie into this Caleb, is, 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 is the Raisa, Caleb, is the Rabbanan, whatever you want to say. Uh, a mix for, for women must, must, must be under... Yeah, on the yeah. supervision. Yeah, one last question, sure. Rabbi Shagalov. People go to the mikvah um, because of tefillah Ezra. Does a shower work for men? Does a shower work? Al tishakavin. Al tishakavin. If it's coming on you straight, many many places can say that it does work if you're there for as long as it takes for tishakavin to fall on you. And how much? I want to say that it's how much is tishakavin? Um, I say it's about three to four minutes. Tishakavin would help with tefillah Ezra. Right. And when you do it with Caleb, you want to have them poured on you consecutively. So you Nobody, can't do it yourself or you're going to stop. Nobody's doing it with Caleb, right? And what's the problem? Yeah, what's the, what's the problem with Tishakavin through a shower? There are some that time that he is that it comes through different holes in the shower head. That's considered as if it's coming from, from more than three Caleb. And it's okay. not, it can't come from more than three Caleb at once. But I don't think, but to the best of my recollection, most aren't worried about that. And some believe, and also there's no Makar for this, that you need Kayak Gavra. Which is also hard to find the Makarfa. So, so let me yeah. ask you a question. I know that there are Hasidim that are very makhbar on mix every day. Is it al Tzilas Ezra or is it even without Tzilas Ezra? I should hope it's not al Tzilas Ezra to go every day. So, and can you find, think of a Makar for that? By Hasidim, it's broken from the Balshamtiv to go to mix every day. Um, the Altarev, the Balatanya says what's, that. Uh, what's the Makar for what's that? What? What's the Makar? Which sefer is it actually from the Baal Shem Tov or is it just the Kabbalah? Um, is, I'm saying, is it, is, it, is, it, is it based on a, a riot from a Gemara? Like, is, is it based on anything? So I think it's actually based on partly on the Rambam, where the Rambam mentions, I can't quote you the source right now. I don't think we're going to take this angle to get the sources ready. Uh, where the Rambam writes that you went to make the stam with Tada Yisaito. Just extra Tada. I, I need a Makar for that. Because the Rambam I, I know, he says, Miyamov, he never missed, he said, Shilas Ezra. That's what the Rambam. I have a Makar not to. I have a Makar not to. The Gemara says, um, why would a Masakin Shilas Ezra, which is the Tfil that a, a man goes to after he's Miyachin with Ishtai. So the Gemara says, because if they didn't make it a hassle, you would find Talmud Chachamim with their wives like Tarnagailam. So they wanted to limit the amount of uh, relationship, not to make it excessive. So they made it into a hassle, so this way it becomes, a, uh, it becomes like a, a barrier, a moat, right? 
if you're going mm-hmm. to the if you're going to the mikveh every day, the whole reason for Tilos Ezra becomes bottle. Chazal clearly held you shouldn't be going every day, right? When do you go after Tilos Ezra? Right? And why would they misak him? So Ezra say you shouldn't be Matzei Sol Nashim. If you do it every day, if I can't, you could be Matzei Sol Nashim, Ketan Gailim. We'll hear from that Abaraya that they were opposed to going every day. So, Abshaya, I, I make the big box let's here. Let's look at it this way. Abshaya, I make the big box here for asking the hot questions, by the way. That's what they told me. No, no. Well, I'm glad you're making big bucks. By all means, you can support Achabat House. <laughs> That's in the public as well. Um... First of all, I would tie in a sakeret. If you have a guy that's going to the mikveh every single day anyway, at least then he you know, holds himself a little bit higher, hopefully he doesn't have the problem with Sunnit and Lishatin Katana Gerlin. Except the Gemara doesn't say that. Oh, yeah. But even without that, Yeshlema, that we're in much more, uh, 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 we're in darker times today. And mikveh brings Tara Yisera. There's a discussion on Paiskin if, if um, the nine lugan of a shower helps only for Tzilos Ezra, also for Tada Yuseda. And the hate that we're in a time that there's definitely room for Tada Yuseda, especially today's day and age, much more than in the Bashamt of time. The concern about Shalei Mitzunitz and the Shisein, I think, is not too much of a concern in light of everything else. Uh-huh. Rav Shaya, you should have Hatzlacha. I hear the Chabad houses on campus accomplish miracles. Uh, somebody told me, he said, the only... Thing between his daughter, a fry guy told me, his daughter and a nose ring and a tattoo is the Chabad house on campus. So you should continue to do the Yeshliya from the Heliger Amash, and you should have a lot of Hatzlacha. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.